Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. It was neat to see you play, and it's fun to talk to you all these years later because you played with a lot of joy and you played with passion. And I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. I think there were a lot of kids who looked at Dan Dickow and said, Dan Dickow can play at this level, I can play at this level. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Conversations throughout the world of sports, typically basketball. Today's is, a, in my eyes, a unique guest, somebody I'm interested in hearing a little bit more about his path in the game of basketball, his passion, not only for the game of basketball, but for the game of life, somebody that I connected with on social media a couple of years back. Had a chance to meet him in person and talk the game of basketball a few years back on one of my travels for Scorebook Live. Phil Morrison out of Louisville. Phil, how goes life uh, in the in the bluegrass state? Uh, life is good, man. Life is good. We're rolling here. So, And uh, thank you for inviting me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I mentioned that we connected on social media and we kind of developed kind of a, a, a little back and forth about the game because we love it so much. We met uh, when I was traveling through for some, some work with Scorebook Live and we had a chance to you know, talk hoops for an hour, hour and a half or so. What is it about the game of basketball that you fell in love with at an early age? Uh, really from the very beginning, basketball was it for me. It's always been my passion. I grew up with uh, in the 90s Bulls era. That was my childhood. So obviously the biggest Bulls fan, biggest Jordan fan. And uh, from a very young age, my dad used to take me to watch like local powerhouse high schools. And he really taught me the game from a young age. You know, it was kind of my dad's passion. So it was a way for me and him to connect. And uh, it wasn't long from there where, you know, it was my dad was uh, he never really was my coach, but he was like my full time trainer. And that's how we really bonded growing up, playing in parks and uh, just fell in love with it from the very beginning. Like the purest form of basketball, hearing the net swish, hearing the ball bounce. Uh, I didn't grow up really in gyms. I grew up playing at the park. So, you know, from the very beginning, I fell in love with the game that way. So if you grew up in Louisville. Um, are you a, a Kentucky Wildcat, Wildcat fan or are you a Louisville Cardinal fan? Because, you know, being from the Northwest, I don't know that rivalry as, as well as probably many people would expect. But give me your take on that rivalry. Yeah, uh, if, you, if you're from Kentucky, you would say that rivalry is the best. Uh, and, and I would say it rivals Duke, North Carolina, I guess so. But uh, we were uh, a Louisville fan. So University of Louisville. I uh, grew up going to Freedom Hall. It's now the Yum Center, um, but it's split right down the middle and very passionate, you know. So my wife was a U of K fan and, you know, the Lord worked on her heart. Now she's a U of L fan, so <laughs> it's all good right now. But I actually enjoy watching both. I'm not bitter like a lot of people are because I actually like Coach Cal. 
So I, I like watching the UK and uh, obviously grew up a Louisville fan. So give me your favorite one or two players then from Louisville growing up. Uh, I'd probably say, well, that's tough. I would say uh, as a kid who I kind of looked up to was Dwan Wheat. He had a little career in the NBA as well. He's a big one. Uh, Marcus Maven, who actually does ESPN radio, he was a big-time player. And then, of course, my, my business partner, like my brother, my teammate, Terrence Farley, he played at UofL. And I had a chance for a couple summers to train Peyton Siva. He's out from around your way. Peyton Siva's a yeah. – so he's – he's uh, me and Peyton actually lived down the street from each other, got to know his family. But I trained him for a couple seasons when he was coming back from his team over in Berlin. So you mentioned the name Peyton Siva, and yeah, he's from the Northwest. Um, lots of people know him from uh, playing at Franklin High School in Seattle in the Metro League. Uh, and so there are a lot of Northwest people uh, that listen to this podcast. Give me something about Peyton that separates him from other players, because when you look at him, he's not a very big guy. I want to say he's 5'11". Um, he's a, from what I remember watching him he's a very determined player competitive uh he's gonna fight you tooth and nail on both ends of the floor give me your take on Peyton after having worked with him and watched him closely for so long I'll tell you what Peyton is one of my all-time favorite ones he was as beloved here in Louisville I'm sure as he is back home because you know he led that 2013 championship team here at UofL um but you know the thing when I got to know Peyton and train with him that was different is what I saw with a lot of high-level guys is he was known for that smile and uh, athleticism, but when he was in workouts, he was very business-like. Uh, he, he locked in, everything about him was purposeful. And I think for me, that's what stood out the most. And I think when he was at UofL, you know, the knock on him going up to the NBA uh, was shooting. But man, when he got into these workouts uh, with me, I mean, he was lights out. And all the workouts, he's turned himself into a really great shooter over uh, in the EuroLeague, BBL now, playing in Berlin. And, uh, yeah, he, had, he would have to, like, for instance, make him five NBA threes in a row from usually seven spots before he left the gym. You know, so that's what I noticed about him is how he turned seemingly a weakness into one of his strengths now and how focused he was within workouts. Taking a weakness, making it a strength is something you as a, a skills trainer have to do for players at all levels, whether it's a, a, you know, a beginner, you know, first, second, third grade that the parents just want to get them in something to players you mentioned like Peyton that are playing over in Europe. What is your big over, overarching philosophy towards the game of basketball and how you train people? I take a more of approach as, as far as just the pure skill development. I'm a big believer of putting players under stress. That's the biggest thing. So, you know, typically you see like shooting and ball handling. Those are the main things people come to footwork, different things like that. I'm a big believer in just putting yourself under stress and then game situational stuff, you know, uh, just from playing overseas, I saw how the game, flows more towards pick and roll spacing uh being able to create for yourself and for others so that's really how i approach the skill development side the other aspect is is i approach the game more from a emotional holistic point of view i really believe it's very spiritual 
emotionally, mentally, when you're on the court, all those things affect the player and really uh, put a put a ceiling on what I see most players that have maybe the talent or the ability, but they just mentally, emotionally, and spiritually uh, can't get there as a player that I think a lot of times is overlooked. I really like that kind of direction that you, you started heading into. You know, I think the best players, maybe not the best players, but to maximize your potential, you have to have a great emotional balance to your game. And, and a lot of people get that in different ways. Um, I know you're a person that has a, has a tremendous faith. I leaned on my faith when I was a player, whether it was going through rough times or, or going through really good times um, to kind of keep that emotional level stable and kind of even keel. How do you, with your faith, kind of balance that with training and trying to grow the person? Because you're training lots of different levels of players and ages. Uh, but I know from talking to you in the past that it's important to you to train skill-wise, but also impact the person off the court. Yeah, I can I can dive deep into that. I think it goes back to as a player, you know, I grew up, wasn't the biggest, most athletic kid, but the way I survived and made it high school, college, and overseas, uh, one was just work ethic. And what I found in skills development, if someone comes to me or our group to train, they're serious about the game, and they all tend to be perfectionists. They walk this very thin line of um, they work hard to cover up the fact that they don't truly believe in themselves. And that's where I get into the emotional, spiritual aspect of it. So they work hard, they work hard. And it's, it's this cycle that I've found that, um, you know, there's just an emotional roller coaster, always going up and down. Very, very difficult for perfectionists to be even killed because they chase something that doesn't exist. They chase the perfect game, the perfect practice. And because it's not attainable, they beat themselves up. And even though we have a passion for basketball, it's our greatest source of joy in one way. And it's also our greatest source of misery because uh, it's a it's a ruthless God to serve, you know, when you're all in and you love it. You know, so as a player, I experienced that. And then I, I became a Christian at 19 and all that weight fell off of me because basketball no longer was my identity as a person. I wasn't Philip Morrison, a basketball player. I looked at it as I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God and in basketball is just a blessing to be out there and playing. And when I got to that place spiritually and emotionally, I tell this to people all the time, I never felt pressure again playing a game of basketball. And I played in some pressure games. I hit some game winners. I played in some big time games overseas, but I never felt pressure again because I had it, I feel like in its rightful place as a blessing you know, moving forward. And so that's what I really try to help people, you know, develop is, is that aspect of uh, really realigning who they are as a player, as a person. And I think whenever that pressure is taken off of them, they can really progress in their skill development and, and their mental approach to the game. I really like the way that you describe that and share uh, some of those examples. Let's go back to when you were playing. You were a high school player in the Louisville area, and then you move mm -hmm. on to the NAI level at Asbury University. Mm -hmm. Not as many people on the West Coast realize how good NAI basketball is. And I think that's just based on the fact that there aren't as many NAI schools as in the Midwest and in the South. Give us a little bit of a glimpse of your college career and how that went and then 
how you propelled yourself to go play overseas because if I'm not mistaken you went over to Southeast Asia Thailand uh somewhere over there for a few years if yeah I'm correct yeah um I think it ties directly into my faith you know going back to what people don't realize is um you know there's great players everywhere you know our I was the leading scorer on our NAI team, but the second leading scorer was a transfer from the University of Kentucky. I mean, we played D1 teams uh, and we had D1 transfers coming in. So there's high level players at every level. It doesn't matter, you know, what level you play at, you know, but for me, uh, part of my story was I actually started out at uh, a school just south of Chicago uh, called Olivet Nazarene University, another one. And uh, I actually quit basketball. I went there that first year. I might have got depressed. Honestly, I'm not really sure. Just wasn't working out. So I quit basketball. And uh, I, I um, completely walked away from the game. I didn't come back for over two years. I dropped out. I moved in with some buddies that I had grown up with. And these guys were just doing drugs and selling drugs. And I really kind of almost got into that that life at 19. And then, like I said, I had a pretty dramatic turnaround in my life. I became a Christian and I actually Dan quit basketball. I didn't touch a ball at one point for almost eight or nine months. And I thought I was going to go into ministry. I thought I was going to be a pastor or something like that. And then I got bit by the bug again. You know, I felt like it was my purpose in some kind of way to be around the game. So I got back in shape. Um, I got married at that time to my wife. So I'm 2021 20, young and married. And that's when I came back to Asbury. Got a, uh, they recruited me out of high school. They had an opening spot. And after not playing for two and a half years, I came back and I was a two-time All-American at Asbury University, which I don't really know anybody who ever had a story like that where you quit basketball and you become <laughs> way better. But that's why I so much believe in the holistic approach to basketball as a person, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I was just a different I was a, I was a man at that point, you know, who didn't live for basketball. You know, I was really trying to, at that point, use it as a platform uh, to share Christ because I really felt like there was a call in my life in some kind of way with ministry. And so that's why I kind of took on the persona, you know, we follow each other, Dan, on social media, this persona of a uh, basketball missionary, because I really feel like that was my purpose with the game. And the reason why the Lord brought me back to college and uh, never my wildest dreams that I think I was going to play professionally, but that's kind of what happened. I, I took off at Asbury and then um, got contacted my senior year to be in the pool for the national team in the Philippines. I'm half Filipino. And so uh, that's what sparked my interest of playing. So I actually got a, uh, they asked, I was an all American my junior year. They asked me to leave Louisville or excuse me, leave my college in Kentucky and transferred to the top college in the Philippines. And they were gonna pay me a salary, you know, it's different overseas. So basically I was gonna be treated like a pro. They were gonna bring me and my wife over, finish my senior year of college at the top school there, which is like their Duke or North Carolina or Gonzaga. And then I'd go right into the pro league. And so that's what sparked my interest. Um, I didn't take that offer. I graduated from Asbury, but that's what started the process of me going overseas. And, and, and I eventually played in six countries over in Asia. So that, that's an amazing story. And, you know, in, in the few times that we've had a chance to talk, uh, I've looked at your website a number of times, as mentioned, follow you on social media. You get 
bits and pieces of it, but I've never heard that full story of, of how that came about. Angie's List is now Angie, and caring for your home just got easier. Whether you need help with routine maintenance or a dream remodel, Angie makes it easy to see reviews, compare quotes, and connect with top local pros who can get the job done right. Plus, you can see upfront pricing and instantly book hundreds of projects. No phone tag, just the work you need done at a time that works for you. Angie's got your to-do list covered from start to finish. Book your next home project today at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. But I've, I've, I'm 100% in the belief that if you take sports, and basketball's kind of our kind of piece to it, if you take sports and you take the message of faith, and for us it's Christianity, and you go to different parts of the world and use sports as kind of like the thing to bring you together, we would have a lot less issues in this world as far as <laughs> social unrest, uh, not understanding other people's viewpoints. Um, and I know that's a deep thought and it's a deep question, but how do you view that? How do you look at that comment? And do you believe in it that sports can be as such a uh, bring people together point? I think sports naturally, you know, that's a good point. You said that I think it naturally builds a sense of community anyway. I mean, I know you, Dan, now that we're former players, you know, when you look back on your career, it's amazing how the things that were important to you as a player almost mean nothing to you now. You really remember those relationships that you built, um, those uh, playing rides in the locker room, um, being between the lines and, and really going after something but it was that sense of community or camaraderie that you truly miss um, when you walk away from the game as a player and you transition into the different aspect of your life. You know, for me, it was very simple because I, I approach basketball from a sense of uh, reaching people with the gospel. And if you just look at the trends, just look at youth sports, how much it's changed the landscape in the last 15, 20 years, it's only going up like uh, travel ball, club ball, and I'm talking about every sport, volleyball, you know, baseball, basketball, it doesn't matter what it is, it's year round now. Uh, it's big money, um, a lot of corporations have got into it. And that trend is only going up, which means, you know, how I look at it, if uh, like they start in the third grade here in Louisville, like serious AAU travel ball. If the child commits, the family commits, who's paying, who's going to the hotels, who's traveling. It changes the whole dynamic of the family structure because now grandpa's coming, mom and dad are committed. So that family travels with that child. And if that child's talented in any way, they're all in, you know what I mean? And that takes precedence over everything else in life. So for me, if you're gonna reach anyone, you're gonna reach the family, the child, I think sports is the biggest platform and area to do that if you're going to make an impact on people. That's why I'm so focused on youth sports from there. Now, let's stay with your top, your uh, pro career over in, in uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, I had a couple experiences playing in Europe, and every time I've had a guest on my podcast that has played overseas, they have an experience or two that to the average fan who hasn't played in, in an overseas setting, they would just shake their head and, and wouldn't believe it. Do you have right. a story like that? Uh, and if so, can you share it? Yeah, um, I would say for me is to 
I got my little man here with me too. (laughs) I'd say playing over in Asia, what people don't realize is that, you know, you're, um, it's entirely different environment. You know, when I was in the Philippines, but people don't realize is basketball is bigger over there than it is here. My first game was in front of 54,000 people in a soccer arena. That was my first game in the Philippines, my home arena. I'm a big Muhammad Ali fan, obviously, because of uh, from Louisville. We our home arena was where Ali fought Frazier in the thrill in Manila. And so the following over there is massive, you know, and I think that's what people don't quite understand. And you've been overseas, too, Dan. You know, you get those soccer crowds. It's very passionate, you know. Um, So I think that aspect was different. And then, you know, just playing overseas and experiencing the cultures. You know, my first pro team was in Vietnam, of all places. It was in uh, Saigon, Vietnam. We were the first pro team and the only pro team. So we're talking grassroots basketball. We're building basketball uh, in a place that doesn't speak English. Uh, when I was there, they didn't have a Starbucks, which is wild to me. You know, <laughs> they had KFC with no Starbucks. So it's just a different, it's a language barrier, you know, and I, I could tell you lots of stories. Here's another wild one. Our team building, you've probably done lots of team building trips with your team. In Vietnam was, we had five Americans on the team and seven domestic Vietnamese players. And we went to the Coochie Tunnels where the Vietnamese and the Americans fought each other. How wild is that? So me as an, I was the only American small enough to get down into the tunnels and I'm crawling through the tunnels with Vietnamese players and Americans were, uh, couldn't find them because, uh, you know, the Vietnamese had built tunnels underground and were shooting up from underground building traps and here we are as americans and vietnamese doing a team bonding trip right there you know what i'm saying it was pretty wild uh but just experiences like that man i i it's hard to uh explain to people what it's like to do that outside of the grind yeah it's not the nba you know what i mean so it's a totally different life no that's uh those are eye-opening fascinating stories that you mentioned um and you go from being a player and it sounds like you have such a passion for the game as well as passion for others that you want to blend the two. So, you know, you're done playing. Did you, was it an easy transition into what you're doing now with training? Uh, Because a lot of people, former athletes say they want to coach or they want to do this or that, but they don't realize there's more to it than just showing up at a gym and working on one or two drills with a player here or there. Uh, There's got to be, if you're going to be successful at it like you are, there's got to be kind of a, a, a bigger approach, a business approach to it. How do you mold those two together when you were done playing? Yeah, I, I like how you asked that question because that hits on a lot. I will say the short answer is two things. Just because you can play basketball doesn't mean you have a gift to teach. To me, teaching is a totally separate gift from playing. And I think the easy thing is to say, oh, great players. They relied on talent. They did things natural. So it's harder for them to break down the game to someone who's learning at a level without the talent. And I think there's some that goes to it, but I would separate the gift of teaching as an entirely different autonomy from the gift of playing. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is a lot of hoopers just aren't businessmen or businesswomen. I'm just going to be honest. They can get out there. 
And even if they had the gift to teach, I see this a lot. A lot of former overseas guys come home. My market is one of the best basketball markets in the country here in Louisville, but one of the most saturated basketball markets as far as trainers. And so many of them fall off or struggle because they they rely on what they think their resume is or that people owe them something. And they don't have the people skills or the business skills to really scale or grow. And I think those are to the two biggest deterrents, you know, for people being successful. But as far as how I got into it, uh, you know, I was a big follower of Gannon Baker. And Gannon Baker's actually a, 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 like a brother to me now, a big brother to me, a friend and mentor. So uh, I had always thought that would be cool to get into um, being if on the private sector, owning my own skills training business, you know, and because it's a really it's a new market and social media has blown it up into something of its own. But when I got overseas, they were hiring guys from Impact, IMG, uh, private guys. They were coming in as skills development coaches, uh, paying them tons of money to come in and just train. And I, I was like, wow, there's guys that are doing this at a high level, not just the NBA level, but they're hired to go around the world or being hired by, you know, top teams where I played in the Philippines. Uh, they had their own skill development guy they brought in from Impact or from different countries to just focus on the skill work. So that's what sparked my interest as far as getting in the skill development area was I realized I've always had a passion. I was a gym rat. I had a passion for training as much as playing. And then if I had self-awareness, I realized I'm a better teacher, a better skills development coach than I am as a player. And uh, I would do it for free. Like, I just love it. You know, if, if, uh, if I didn't get paid to do this, I would find a way um, and I can't help myself with it. When I was in the Philippines, um, I couldn't find a gym. So I was training outdoors. The thing in the Philippines is, is these daggone kids, they play 24-7. These kids are dirt poor. They don't have shoes. They got hose in their clothes. They don't go to school because you have to pay to go to school there. They play basketball. No joke. At four or five in the morning, they start and they go till midnight. So for me to get on the court, I had to train them. Yeah. convince them and work out. And that's really how I got into it. I love it. I love the, you know, the fact that you do whatever you can to be around the game and love the game and then teach the game and pay it forward because you're so busy with training and running your, your skills um, sessions. You probably don't get a lot of time uh, in the evenings to watch basketball. If you get a chance, are you watching college or are you watching the NBA? Uh, 95% is NBA. I, I rarely watch college. Um, I do a little bit, big games, U of L. Uh, I actually watched the last Gonzaga game. I've been following them this year. Just, you know, they're killing it, but I am a huge believe. I just want to watch the best players in the world at a high level. And for me, it's easy because I, I like breaking down film. You know, as far as if I can learn something from a player, I'm going to follow that player and implement that. Plus, I'm a big pick and roll guy. I mean, I've been hired by uh, different pros and different college teams to come in and just work on the pick and roll. So that's kind of where I really that's my wheelhouse that I try to focus in on for, for me personally. Well, Phil, I appreciate the time. It was great to uh, connect again and talk at length. Uh, hopefully at some point my travels will bring me back through Louisville area and uh, 
at least we grab a coffee again. If not, maybe we get it in gym and, and uh, kind of go over some details of the game. Cause uh, knowing you a little bit, I know that's your biggest passion um, or one of your two big passions. Uh, and I, I love being in a gym whenever I can get in there as well. So for the ISO, I'm Dan Dickow. Today's guest, Bill Morrison. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.